What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. In this edition of Rabbit Hole Recap, I'm here on the roof with our boy Matt O'Dell. We've got helicopters flying above us right now. They're on to us. What was that? I think they're on to oh, us. Oh, they're on to us, yeah. Yeah. Do you see any you see any ladders coming down? Not yet. Not for this recording. Maybe in a future recording. It's a beautiful day we got here on the roof. Gorgeous. Happy to be here as as usual. Happy August. Happy August first to you. Oh, we don't have this on the list. How do we not have this on the list already? It's we knew we were think- forgetting yeah. something. There you go. So, yeah, it's August 1st. It's a two-year anniversary, or some people want to call it an anniversary. Some people... Bitcoin Independence Day. Bitcoin Independence Day, when uh, the user-activated soft fork was enabled. Um, is that technically what happened? What technically happened on August 1st? Well, didn't everyone go with SegWit and then Bitcoin Cash was happened? Yeah, Bitcoin Cash forked off. Exactly. Because like the Segwit 2x folks were like, oh, well, everyone will go along with it, and then we'll do the 2x part exactly. later on. I think it was 90 days after. Yeah, so it never actually, I mean, it kind of did happen, right? I mean. Right now, it's two years later. Some yeah. people call it the most important event in Bitcoin's history up to this point. Would you agree with that? It's pretty crazy. It's been, for yes, one of the most important events. But yes, it's pretty crazy. It's been two fucking years. It feels like it's been a lot longer than that. Yeah. No, it is. Um, does it feel like it's been longer? Lightning was like but a dream two years ago on this day, right? Like we needed SegWit for Lightning. There was no Lightning clients and there was no Lightning network. It didn't exist yet. And yeah, now we have crazy proliferate. We actually had a lot of Lightning news on the docket for this episode in particular. Um, but yeah, all enabled by SegWit and... Uh, users sticking up for themselves and sticking up for the network and not not caving to to the demands of what some would uh, consider an economic majority. Not that they had the power anyway, but this proved without a shadow of a doubt that that full node operators sort of dictate the rules of the system. Well, you know, we kind of talked about it on um, July 4th uh, and also on the the podcast that we just released with Richard. you know, so many things in this world end up getting co-opted by centralized actors, right? And and this was a very unique case where Bitcoin was able to to not do that, you know, by because of both uh, activism from the stakeholders, but also because of how it's designed to be highly resistant to change in the first place. Yeah. No, then a lot of people argue whether or not that that event in particular sort of launched the the crazy mania that we saw <clears throat> for the rest of 2017 uh in my opinion was definitely a bullish event to prove bitcoin's utility and overall its robustness and, and decentralization at that point in time yeah because you had that you had the bitcoin cash fork and then you had the segwit 2x failure think about all the shit that's gone down in the last two years that's what i'm saying it doesn't feel like two years and here we are you know just two years later and people are already complaining that lightning's moving too slowly you yeah. know now, and that goes back to the statement I made a couple of weeks ago when I was on that bachelor party. Like, it's quiet, too quiet. Like, I feel feel like things are too good almost. Um, but, yeah, we'll touch on a lot of that. Before we get into the topics of the day, we got to give a shout-out, a quick shout-out to our sponsors, Cash App. They're letting you freak stack sats. They, they just rolled out a new UI. If you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. Uh, you can buy Bitcoin, uh, send, receive Bitcoin on the app now, and they're rolling out BEC32-enabled uh, uh, sending and receiving, or I'm not sure about receiving, but you'll be able to send to a BEC32 address, uh, it looks like, soon. That's I, being rolled out. Yeah, I think receiving is is uh, is not even a SegWit address right now. Uh, not positive. I yeah. think it's still a legacy address. I know mine yeah, is I'm pretty least. sure it's legacy. Um, but beyond that, they have uh, the Boost program as well. I used my Boost card this morning at the coffee shop, saved myself a dollar. You get a Boost card, you get a Merchant's like a local coffee shop, a Whole Foods, DoorDash, Taco Bell. They're adding others. And uh, you shop at these merchants, you get money, and then you can stack sats with that. So use the promo code STACKINGSATS if you have not downloaded Cash App yet. That's stacking sats, one word. You're going to get $5, and then $5 is going to go to a very uh, cool cherry that's near and dear to our heart, Al's Lacrosse out of Chicago. So go download the Cash App today. Use stacking sats as the promo code. And I've got to give a shout-out to our other sponsor, Unchained Capital. You already know all about them. Uh, we mentioned Parker Lewis's Gradually Then Sunny, Suddenly newsletter last week. What we did not mention is that he also dropped uh, a link to his incredible paper, Ender's Game, which is on the Unchained site right now. But on, beyond Parker's writings, they also have the 203 Multisig Volt program. If you guys are looking for 
uh, a third party to help with your custody. Unchained is there with their vault programs where you can use a Trezor, a Ledger, uh, multi-hardware setup, and Unchained will be there to be a signing member if you ever need them to come sign a two or three multi-sig on top of that. They have their loan program on the other side. If you don't want to sell your Bitcoin and use it as collateral to get USD loans, you can do so on uh, their loan side. So go to www.unchained-capital.com slash vaults. Check out their vault program. Um, and yeah, shout out to our sponsors. Matt, it's been like a, a, good, a good week in terms of a mix. It's a good mix of macro news we have lined up, a good mix of technical news, and a good mix of uh, uh, some other topical stuff in the Bitcoin world. So it's an interesting, far-ranging conversation we're about to have. Where do, where do you think we should start? Um, let's start with uh, positive news. Um, Jack Maulers uh, announced that they're working on a uh, full node completely integrated into Zap. You basically have Bitcoin Core in Zap already. So when you just launch that, it'll give you everything. Yeah, it seems like Pierre's node launcher with a better UI on top of it. Yeah, just all wrapped into a single uh, program, right? Yeah. So, like, you can imagine people running that, and then then you could easily run Wasabi or, you know, Electrum Personal Server next to that and use it with, like, a cold card or something. So you'd have you'd have basically, like, two app install. That's, that's pretty simple for what you get, a full, a full Bitcoin node, a full Lightning node. Um, and a way to interact with the hardware wallet. Yeah, on top of that, they have the mobile app, so you can connect your node to your mobile app and, and monitor your node while you're on the go uh, and transact while you're on the go if you're using Lightning as well. So shout out to Zap, just putting out good shit week in and week out, it seems. This came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting this. Was this uh, on... Was this, like, known on their roadmap? I feel like this was a bit of a surprise. He kind of just teased it on Twitter, right? Yeah. I was, it was a great surprise. I was really happy about that. Yeah. I think it'll make it a lot easier. We already love Zap, and I think it'll make it a lot easier for people to, to use it uh, to its fullest, right? Yeah, exactly. So shout out to the Zap team um, pushing that forward. And I guess it's a good segue into BitMax. They put out a blog post this morning. Uh, sticking on the Lightning Network here, they tested out watchtowers and they did an, a nice write-up of uh, basically them setting up a watchtower and proving that it, it caught a malicious uh, transaction and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Punish the... Punish justice the, transaction. Yeah, a justice transaction. Such was, a good term. Was, uh, uh, was executed. Um, so we'll link to that uh, in the show notes. It's just a blog post explaining how they did it, how it worked, and they, they set up some pretty granular details in there. So it's a good good way to see how this watchtower system works in the wild. Like we said, we saw Will Byrne uh, demo this at BitDevs a couple months ago, and it, it works. It's pretty cool to see it uh, in person actually go down. But BitMix Research does a lot of good write-ups like this. So Yeah. That's one thing we're going to talk about, BitMix Research. They had to shut down their... Uh, their s- their node, uh, their Ethereum node, because it was getting too expensive. And they had a bunch of them, right? That's yeah. the whole point. They had like their version of Fork Monitor, where they run all the different Bitcoin clients. Yes. Um, and I guess like no one was using it, and it was just got really expensive to run. And then on a similar vein, uh, did you see what Ryan X Charles posted? The the BSV guy. I muted that guy a while ago. Our former hero at Reddit, who then fell and became a a villain. Um, He's not even a villain. He's just a dunce. So it's actually really funny. Okay, so so BCH split off like two years ago, right? On this on this day, um, and with the goal of making blocks bigger, right? And what what the non B, you know, but the what Bitcoiner said was it does. You don't want to increase those block if you increase the block size too much. If you increase or the block weight. That is, that's how we calculate it now, the block weight. But if you increase, increase that size too much, it becomes prohibited, prohibitively expensive to run a node um, <coughs> because you have your bandwidth requirements keep going up and up and up, right? You have to send more data. And nodes don't get paid. So then, uh, after holding up Craig Wright as their false idol for maybe 10 months or however long, uh, they had a falling out with him. 
And that then we had this split up where you had SV then split off from from uh, Bitcoin Cash. So now you have two Bitcoin Cashes. Um, SV was like, well, we have to go even bigger, right? Because that's it's like once you go, once you start increasing, how far do you go, right? Once you send it, you got to full send. Right. So they went even bigger. Uh, and now two gigabytes right i don't even know it's just big it's just large and they're putting like all this useless data on there because the fees are so low like the what most bitcoin sv transactions are this weather service that's just decoding <laughs> the weather into this into this blockchain um so ryan charles who's a former bitcoiner then bcasher then bcash sv runs the site money button which is like one of their so-called premier projects in the space and he just wrote a tell-all blog post where he's like it's too expensive to run a node like we need donations like you don't understand like we don't get paid to run a node the blocks are too big it's like dude are you fucking kidding me and then not only that the b cashers are like we warned you guys we told you that it was gonna be bad because the sv went bigger than them you know while they're doing the same they're committing the same exact foul and they just think like it's proving them right so it's pretty pretty hilarious development poetic justice at the end of the day Right? Oh, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. And let us uh, be a reminder to you freaks out there. This is why me as an individual, this is why I choose to download Bitcoin Core because I think the people working on that repository and code base have these trade-offs in mind. And, and it is do not raise the block size at all costs. Let's do everything we can before that ultimatum is, is pushed on us and, and try to be as efficient as possible in the time being. And I think... Bitcoin uh, up to this point has done an incredible job as that. And if you actually look at the the annualized growth of the blockchain, or excuse me, the chain state uh, in terms of gigabytes, like the annual annualized growth has, has sort of the slope is decreased and it's it's growing at a, a, a slower or a lower percentage rate over time because of these efficiencies that have been gained via SegWit and and bandwidth uh, efficiencies and and stuff like that. Yeah, you want to keep it as efficient as possible. And what's really cool is um, what people don't realize is one of the benefits of, of these failed minority forks and of altcoins is that two years ago, four years ago, five years ago when we were having these debates, it was all theoretical. Um, and, I mean, the safest decision is to side on the conservative side, right? But now these forks come out, they've, they've done it in practice um, and now we have like real use cases to point to where we're like, look, they did it. This is the issues with it. You can see it clearly creates centralization, you know, it becomes prohibitively expensive to run a node. Uh, you know, even something like Ethereum uh, proves a lot of the debates that, that we've had over the years. Yeah, and that's why it's important to try to seek out like the signal and all these scaling proposals, like just arbitrarily raising the block size is lazy and, and not a really obviously obviously not a really clever way a real clever way to try to solve this problem and comes with major trade-offs exactly right? so that's why things like early things like utrexo like try to focus on those proposals that that approach scaling in a in a in a clever way instead of just arbitrarily changing a variable in the code um so early will help a lot with bandwidth. Utrexo could potentially help with the the chain state size as well. So things like that, instead of just chatting the <laughs> the uh, block size. Yeah, and you don't want to make changes. You know, there's no once you like once you do it, the damage is done. So you want you want to be as conservative as possible. You can always make changes in the future if if they become necessary. Yes. Um, yeah, so that was talking uh, development process and, and efficiency. Uh, a thing that I wrote about this morning and a hot topic in the news recently has been coin joins, and in particular, particular uh, coin join implementations, whether it be Wasabi or Samurai. One that is not talked about as much, I feel, but has been around the longest and uh, has a very unique way of solving or excuse me, uh, facilitating coin joins is join market. And last week, Chris Belcher from join market uh, sort of proposed the concept of a fidelity, bo excuse me, fidelity bonds on co coin, uh, excuse me, join mar join market. There's too much coin join and join market <laughs> going on here. Um, so basically a fidelity bond 
would help to prevent Sybil attacks. So a Sybil attack can happen right now on the maker uh, on the maker side of the maker taker market within join market. Basically, you can have one entity represent uh, a bunch of imp- inputs to sort of reduce the anonymity set of a coin join. And so Fidelity Bond would force makers to tie their Bitcoin up in a time lock contract for a certain period of time uh, to sort of increase the price of the cost of attacking or executing a Sybil yeah, attack. Yeah, Joy Market was the, f- was the first one of these three implementations. Um, I remember when it came out, I was like super excited about it. The, the cool difference here is that it runs on a maker-taker model. Uh, similar to a lot of exchanges. So basically, if you have a lot of funds that are available to be mixed, you're the maker and you get paid Bitcoin to facilitate those mixes. Now, the issue with all coin, so that's different than something like Wasabi, where you're paying Wasabi's coordinator money or something like Samurai, where you're paying Samurai's coordinator money, but the, the two people involved in the transaction aren't getting paid for it. So with join market, it's kind of nice because it creates this free market incentive that really is similar to Bitcoin in a lot of ways, where it aligns incentives to add liquidity to the network. The biggest issue with join market has been UX. Um, it's a lot It's a lot more difficult for the average user to use. Um, and then the other thing is with all these coin join implementations, we have the issue of Sybil attacks, which is basically just imagine if an attacker just tries to participate in as many coin join rounds as possible. And the way most of them get around it is um, by introducing this fee, right? Whether it's a samurai fee or the the wasabi fee, and and that's it. It may, it puts a cost to the attack, right? But similar to uh, like Bitcoin transaction fees, like if you try to flood the network, you have to do this cost. But with coin, with with join market, you don't have that. It's a reverse incentive, right? Because the maker is getting paid to do it, so you're actually you could get paid to do Sybil attacks. So this is a very clever way to try and get around that. Yeah. No, and it again it puts a cost on uh, the attack, the civil attack, and then on top of that, it creates a sort of natural incentive for long time, long term holders to participate in these fidelity bond sales and purchases because uh, an increased anonymity set makes Bitcoin more fungible, which therefore makes it more useful, gives it more utility which therefore drives demand for it and the price higher. So if you're a long-term holder with a financial incentive, uh, to me it just seems natural that buying and contributing to this fidelity bond model sort of makes sense uh, in the yeah, long term. I mean, I think if you're a long-term holder, like participating in providing coin joint liquidity in general already, like I, I, like I imagine most makers in, in joint market system were already long-term holders, right? It just this this added mechanism works well for them because they, as you said they're already long-term holders so they, they'll be comfortable time locking some bitcoin to prove uh that they're a responsible actor basically yeah no and another thing about fidelity bonds like while we're on the topic i just thought it was a pretty unique implementation of uh op check lock time verify which is basically the time lock function an op code that allows you to lock your utxos up for a certain amount of block time did he say how long he wants to lock him up for? Um, it's just a rough. I bet there will be a market. Like I assume there will be a market for it. The uh, longer you lock it up, maybe more credit you have. Yeah, the more. And the more you lock up, and yeah. The so it's like a quasi reputation system too. Like you're you're trusting the people who own these bonds and have for a certain duration of time. I would imagine. It's pretty clever. Yeah. You know, I would love to see joint market usage go up. I I do think the main issue is is UX. Right. Yeah. So if you if you are participating in this fidelity bond uh, system, you have to be careful with your UTXOs before and after use. It's you have to make sure they're they're well mixed before you purchase a fidelity bond or lock your UTXOs up in a fidelity bond. And then once that bond duration has been met, uh, you have to be careful with what you do after it to remix it and stuff like that. Yeah, because they're linked to your coin join identity. Yeah. So if you fuck up. After the fact, you could fuck up anybody who participated in a coin join with you. So that, yeah, like these UX problems exist, and they're they're, and I, I said it in the bent today. Like, it's, a novice is not going to be cognizant of this or savvy enough to to do this. I don't think. I got to jump back into join market and try it out again. <clears throat> um, but this also brought up like, hopefully, in the future, things like P to E P, like pay to endpoint, will be more commonplace and makes it easier. Again, for the developers and then the end user as well. It's just like every every 
transaction as a coin join and a pay to endpoint. But there are trade offs there as well. Yeah, because both both parties need to be online to do that. Yeah. So that's why I like seeing things like Zap uh, make it easier. Yeah, I mean, you could still do stuff like uh, like the Stonewall transactions in Samurai, where you're like simulating a coin join amongst your own outputs. Yeah. You know. So at least it kind of looks. At least it looks like a coin join. Uh, um, Capital wanna, One breach. Capital One breach. Capital One lost how many? How many accounts did they lose? Uh, 106 million, I think, all in. Oh my god! Potentially more, mostly in the U.S. Canada was affected as well. Um, yeah. So apparently, the story goes, there was an engineer at Amazon. Uh, she uh, found this breach within Capital One system on Amazon servers, and then moved the data that she secured from this breach to a personal GitHub account, and was pretty. Uh, pretty lazy with her, with her trail of information. Like no opsec. Yeah, no. And OPSEC I think at all. she might possibly. Ha- she didn't actually sell the data, right? She it's just leaked very, it, yeah. and then someone else sold it. Yeah. And then the worst part is, Capital One didn't even realize that they were that it was compromised for like a year or something. Yeah, some GitHub user found it and uh, alerted them. I'm pretty sure and said, "Hey, I hope you know this breach is out on GitHub right now." The craziest part, I like. We were literally talking. I mean, we talk about it all the time, so I guess it's not that coincidental. And these things happen all the time. But we were talking with Richard the day before this breach happened about how, like, will people care about their privacy? And, like, I'm an ardent believer that as more and more of our information is online and more and more of these hacks happen, people will wake up. Um, you know, the look, we have Equifax was trending, that they're giving everyone the $125 blood money. Which I, did you did you claim your Equifax money? I tried to. Really? I'm not eligible. Why aren't you eligible? Apparently, my information did not get leaked in it. I, every adult American's information got leaked. I thought maybe I did it wrong. I don't know. I didn't claim because I felt like it was a slap in the face, and I didn't want the money. You could have stacked sass with it. I could have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had the Equifax thing trending. Now we have the Capital One. Um, and it's getting to the point where like all this information that people think like what what is private what private information do people have anymore? Um, you know, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, social security numbers. Like nothing is nothing is sacred, and it's all out there. And uh, if we don't stop giving these companies information, like it'll never get solved. Like there's no way they can't secure it. There'll always be. Whether they intentionally leak it to governments or for their own ad purposes or if they get hacked, it is all just a ticking time bomb waiting to, you know, get released. Any information you give them. But, Matt, we need to save people's lives. We need to collect this information to protect people from themselves and, more importantly, terrorists around the world. Is there... A threshold of KYC that is acceptable. It is not effective at stopping bad people, and it just puts good people in jeopardy. So it's an absolute net bad. Uh, it should just be. The thing is, the thing is, uh, KYC is necessary for a lot of things in the legacy financial system just because of how they handle fraud. Like their fraud systems aren't effective without it. Yeah, but you're, with Bitcoin, we don't need that. Because it's a push system, right? Yeah, because it's a push system and it's you know a digital bearer asset that they can verify themselves. So it doesn't really matter what the identity is. Um, no, but it is, no, it's a very extremely good point. Like Bitcoin as a push system versus the credit and debit system and ACH system, which is pull. Uh, like pushing your UTXOs out is a completely different model than, than the way our traditional financial system works right now. And but like going back to KYC AML's protection against terrorists and, and the fear used to, to protect these, what we would argue, dangerous policies. It's, so it, it is a, a game of changing the dialogue and the narrative around this. Like it, we have to change the connotation. Like we're not trying to, that's why I love the Richard conversation. Like the current financial system is surveillance tech as a service, uh, sort of changing the conversation around that. Like this isn't here to protect us. It actually pretty empirically does more harm than good. Yeah. I mean, it'd be like if, if 
like every person got mug shots taken because some criminals exist or something right like that's ridiculous you just mug shot the criminals like you don't just you don't jeopardize everyone else's uh like privacy and freedom and security i mean imagine all this capital one information got leaked and also it leaked all of your bitcoin addresses and your transactions and your balances and shit like that gets that gets really really dicey really really quick and it's 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 fucking dangerous and no Bitcoin companies have, you know, that are just straight Bitcoin only businesses have no excuse to be doing KYC. If they're doing KYC, they're fucked. Someone like a service that's not doing KYC is going to be successful. No, I would agree. I would agree. Um, so Capital One breach, another in a long line of uh, of data breaches that are affecting hundreds of millions of people. 106 million people in this one one breach. And then Capital One tried to come out and say... Uh, like we didn't leak anybody's social security numbers except for like eight hundred thousand accounts. Or no, wasn't it bank accounts? Like they were like, uh, we only a hundred thousand bank accounts got leaked. No, it was just like, like such a weird way of putting it. So be aware. Just be aware of these breaches. Be aware how much information you have out there. Let me see what the. And then. I guess this is a good segue into liquid tether because this sort of enables uh, these Bitcoin-only businesses and it actually helps them transact more privately uh, as well. And why does tether, the reason tether is the most successful stablecoin by far is because it doesn't require KYC while all the other ones are regulated businesses and while not requiring full KYC yet, they will have to and at funds are subject to freezing at any at any point exactly so for you freaks who are unaware uh tether has been launched on uh the liquid side chain you can now uh, the exchanges within the federation and i assume individual users as well can can use tether on the on the liquid side chain and where this really gets interesting and that the debate it sort of sparks is is liquid tether in particular are going to be the vehicle through which exchanges and traders start moving funds between exchanges because uh, of the the advantages afforded uh, on the liquid side chain like confidential transactions and you speed. can't see balances yes it's it's super fast and you can't see balances what are your thoughts do you think this this seems like a good hypothesis i think that makes sense right because uh it's like what our buddy Nick said. He's like, why would, you know, why why would you want, to, if you're a big trader, why would you want um, your funds show up on whale calls, right? Like the Twitter account that just says when there's big, large fund movements. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be annoying as hell. Like, oh, 300,000 followers of whale call. I don't know how many followers they have. Just saw that I moved millions of dollars. It should be interesting, though, because, uh, I mean, Tether this whole time has always been a fuck you to governments around the world uh so this move uh does make it more private it should be interesting to see uh i mean i don't know how they could get more pressure on them they already have so much pressure but no but even on top of that couple that with liquid which has uh a lot of people question whether or not it'll find a product market fit it seems like maybe this tether use case in particular may be the first killer app on the liquid side chain if you will um like I think the advantages are you get like uh, the so-called benefits of something like Ripple, uh, while being actually less centralized than Ripple and easily with very little friction move between Bitcoin and that chain. Um, and I so I think we'll see like many different uh, experiments in this regard where you have different layers with different trade-offs, all very different trade-offs. Uh, so the user gets to choose what they want to do. And in this case, it, you know, I, I see like a pretty clear value prop for basically moving Bitcoin uh, and like tokenized USD like across uh, between exchanges. Um, the real question is, is in my mind with all these things, is it going to be... Um, are You know, are, is there going to be legal battles here? Uh, because because we know who the federation is right so there's people you can go after you can go after blockstream if you wanted to yeah but is the federation spread out 
geographically across jurisdiction. So, yeah, yeah, across jurisdiction. So that's a little bit of cover. Yeah, and you need like nine of sixteen or something to do anything. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, but again, this utility continues to expand. The optionality continues to expand, and this is something definitely to keep your eye on whether or not uh, liqu- tether on liquid gets a lot of demand. We suspect that it may may drive a lot of demand. Yeah, and as always with Tether, just remember, like, not your keys, not your coins. Tether requires a trusted third party. That trusted third party is actively breaking U.S. laws and laws around the world. So at any point, it that shit could be worth zero. Yeah. Yeah. Bitcoin is my stable coin. <laughs> um, what should we move to next? Talk about product launches fold app they just launched their kickbacks canal sats back sats back baby so you use the fold app basically shop at their partner merchants with with, li- with lightning with lightning and you're getting sats back they automatically convert it to fiat and then they give you up to 20 percent uh back in the form of bitcoin yeah which is a nice little incentive i mean i've always said that that uh Users will start. The two biggest hurdles of users spending Bitcoin is, I think, um, or I guess three, is if the merchant converts to fiat anyway, you're like less ideologically motivated. Um, so really, what you want is like small merchants that accept Bitcoin directly because they want KYC free Bitcoin and they give you a discount and they hodl. Um, and then the second thing, and then the third. Yeah, this, the other thing is, so you want discounts. Like, if you're going to spend it, you need a discount. And then the third thing is the tax, uh, the way it's handled tax-wise is just completely ridiculous and burdensome. So, like, who wants to keep track of all those little purchases? You might as well just spend in fiat and accumulate Bitcoin until they, like, figure that out, right? Yeah, and this actually reminded me of a good piece from Alex Gladstein that I read this week. Uh, Any sort of laid out a vision of lightning progression through the fu- like into the future and in a few years hopefully if bitcoin adoption continues to pick up and people do need to use it as a medium of exchange and they do that via the lightning network and merchants start accepting bitcoin via the lightning network it might be a market driven choice because the fees compared to payment processors credit card and uh credit card processors and master and visa card are considerably less than the lightning network at least at this point yeah one of the guys on the btz pay team uh pavel next uh had an interesting tweet which i was it was on a similar tangent of a couple of my thought processes i've had uh in my own head and i thought it was a, it's a really cool concept a really good idea basically you have a btc pay merchant um let's say it's some you know it's a shop owner he owns a he owns a cafe he accepts bitcoin through BTC Pay, in-store, runs his own full node. Um, he offers a discount because he wants more KYC-free Bitcoin. Um, trying, he's trying to stack as many sats as possible, so he offers a little discount. User comes in, pays him in Bitcoin. Now he's got a stash of Bitcoin that he's accumulating there. He could then operate as a point-of-sale uh, for Bitcoin and, you know, do small purchases so like users could come in and pay him cash. Uh, customers can come in and pay him cash and get paid Bitcoin. He's like a he's like a decentralized Bitcoin ATM. And that way he has fiat access for some of his Bitcoin without having to be connected to any kind of like fiat off ramp or anything. That's fucking beautiful. Right. That would be a really nice closed loop. And there's a lot of good incentives at play there, uh, I think, for both the store owner to shill it and for the customer to want to use it. So maybe that's who we have to reach out to is our is our bodega owner, our local bodega owners here. Yeah, I mean, I think once we get um, just like a super simple BTC pay, uh, like point of sale uh, system in place, like we're very close. It's such a young project, you know. That it's crazy. You, you can just free. tell them to like plug it in. And yeah, so if you're actually this is actually a good segue into I saw. It's a open source project. It's run by volunteers basically at this point, and they take donations. And I saw last month they raised point one one Bitcoin, which is nothing. It's eleven million sats. Eleven million sats, but for a project that's producing so much, um, please consider donating. Yes. Um, yeah, consider donating to them. We should we should probably set set aside some funds of the TFTC. Maybe we'll send some. 
try to figure out a way to s- immediately send some of the dime bag sets. I've donated some a couple of times. I have as well. But yeah, maybe we'll do like some kind of. I like the idea of fundraise drives too. Yeah. I mean, they just did a really successful one for tour. They just need to do one for themselves. <laughs> we could do one for them. Maybe we could do that with the merch too. They're just so humble that they're better at raising money for other projects than for themselves. They did a great one for Hot, <laughs> Hot or Not. They did yeah. a great one for Tour. Shout out to the uh, the BTC Pay Server team again. Um, yeah, and then while we're on the uh, the topic of like Sats back and stuff like that, we I probably should mention Lolly. There was obviously some hoopla earlier in the week, probably incited by me in particular. Yeah, I wish I would have worded that tweet differently. I don't know. We were pretty tame about it, all things considered. It was like, it was it was kind of fucked up, you know, seeing that on Twitter. Just seeing, and it wasn't just the fact that it was trade that they put the trademark. So they put the trademark next to stacking sats, trademark symbol, and they put it next to sats back. But it wasn't just that, right? It was like the description of stacking sats is like earning sats through lolly. Like it was like some kind of lolly specific. Uh, thing marketing campaign or whatever while really it's like i mean millions of us have been stacking sats for years we just didn't call it that it's a fucking lifestyle like you're frugal you're just trying to accumulate bitcoin you know and just and trying to accumulate as much bitcoin as possible while being frugal and not overextend yourself um it's like it's so much more than just a way to earn for any specific company or anything like that yes (laughs) <laughs> yes. It's like yeah. trademarking buying Bitcoin or HODL or something. Yes. And it should be clear that Lolly has no intention of, of using this trademark to profit. Right. They said it was defensive. They pulled it from the site after the controversy. So, yeah, that was good. They made a mistake and they, they fixed it. Yeah. We're still huge fans of Lolly here. And... Yeah, so th- I don't think they're trying to use the stacking sats trademark to, yeah, I don't to think profit it, at all. I don't think, like, if they if a company wanted to send out cease or desist or whatever, like, they wouldn't be able to defend a stacking sats trademark, I don't think. Um, yeah. So that's that. You know, I don't love trademarks. I don't think we should be trademarking memes. Um, so much more than that. And... Uh, Regardless of what any company does, we're just going to keep saying it. We're going to keep doing it, keep living it. So, yeah, it does bring up an interesting debate, though. With like, is defensive IP purchasing okay? You know, this is part of the reason why I I like having my fiat job still. Um, is because. Like we're just Bitcoiners, you know. We don't have any. We're, we don't have any ulterior motives here, except to like have more educated Bitcoiners, and and you know to pump the price of Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> but but there's always been in the history of Bitcoin. There's a reason Bitcoiners respond quickly and swiftly, and um, a little bit aggressive, but in a, in a loving way because. We've had so many people and companies that have appeared as good actors and then have completely eroded away that trust and tried to fuck us, right? Um, so, yeah, so I don't think Lolly is one of those companies. and But I, th- I think that is, is also a very positive um, display because it showed other companies. You know, there's a bunch of companies that have been had they've had their eye on stacking sats right trying to wrestle it for themselves and i think like it tells you that um at the end of the day if any of these companies try and co-opt movements that are big to bitcoiners like it will be a net negative to their business anyway so there's really no incentive uh to try and monetize it yes exclusively yes if everyone can everyone's welcome to monetize the shit out of it right but not it's not an exclusive thing yeah it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Goddamn right. Shout out to Lolly. Still a great service. Yeah, use, Lolly's going to take us to the moon, man. I, I use them to buy my flights to Dallas. Th- that's pretty awesome. I forgot I forgot to do that, but uh, but my lady just bought some tickets, and she intentionally used Priceline, I think, right? Which is the... They have Cheapo Air. I think they have Priceline, too. Yeah, she like went out of her way to use Priceline to get Lolly. I just think that we like live in this... like debt-driven society 
and people spend way too much money. So it's like the ultimate Bitcoin weapon is to like weaponize that Savings. spending, like weaponize that spending to pump up the price of Bitcoin. Like that's what it's doing, right? It's like you're you're doing frivolous consumer spending that's like this debt-driven society has led us to, and instead it accumulates Bitcoin and pumps the price up, creates all this upward pressure. Like that's badass. <laughs> so use Lolly if you're shopping online, freaks. I really, I'm waiting for the day that the Lolly rewards are greater than the mining rewards, and then we'll, then we'll have truly pumptasticness. Wow, I, I've never even thought of that. That would be awesome, right? Just constant upward pressure just from debt-driven spending. Yeah, always trying to expand the Lollipump Guild. So <laughs> if you know any anyone who wants to join the guild, tell them to download the extension. Um, Hong Kong blowing up right now. We got China on the border with their army, military. It's rumored. I've only seen rumors on Twitter. I don't have not seen pictures to confirm or anything like that. Uh, but rumors are that the Chinese military is on the border of Hong Kong. Uh, protests are still uh, raging on. Uh, protesters are getting very uh, clever and very, very good at deterring uh, tear gas cameras and other stuff uh the, the police in, the, in hong kong are are getting uh increasingly physical as well so it's, it's getting really aggressive on both sides yeah yeah no and the, the protesters are fighting back as well physically you see those lasers yeah so they were like shooting the lasers to blind the cameras and the people i think mm-hmm. the protesters were right like yes. super high powered lasers yeah to uh to mess up the facial recognition and then uh, the cops were doing it back, but now with lasers or flashlights, they were, like, flashing their lights on and off at people recording them. Um, that makes sense. That's a normal procedure. Yeah. And It's uh, fucked up, man. And I think they're clamping down. I've noticed the live streams have gotten less and less. I'm not sure if, like, anyone can live stream out right now. And you're saying airdrops being used a lot? Yeah, they're using uh, Apple's airdrop, which is, like, kind of like a faux mesh, right? Uh, what, how did have you used AirDrop before? I, I have, have an I Apple have. device. Yeah, it uses Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, right? Mm-hmm. And what you can like set yourself to discoverable, so some sh- random stranger can just zap you stuff, right? Yeah, somebody at uh, at Bitcoin 2019 was AirDropping memes to people uh, as it, like that had their AirDrop open. I mean, you should not have your AirDrop open at a Bitcoin conference. That's probably a pretty bad idea. Um, so be aware, freaks. Uh, but yeah, so like people are AirDropping. Uh, this reporter was on his way on a train out of Hong Kong into mainland China, and he got airdropped a bunch of stuff from like someone that was just like on, in the station. So they're using airdrop to uh, pass along information and photos and stuff like that, which I thought was pretty novel and interesting. Yeah, um, but it's not looking good. It's no, I mean, it seems very much like... A yeah, I mean, I don't know how does how does China just like let it go? They're not gonna ever let it go, right? And they're, so they're just gonna it's just gonna get worse. Yeah, but it's important to fight, you know. Is it like a Franz Ferdinand moment though? You have to fight. I mean, it's Is interesting. That something like that, like a black, like China, basically denying Hong Kong its autonomy. I don't think that has that played into. Uh, the the game theory of of the geopolitics up until the last six months i mean i think that it's interesting that all this stuff is being filmed now and being aired and people can see these protests relatively live and in hd um they kind of create they must they they create this knock-on effect right where like People around the world are seeing it. And China, it's a check, people are right? seeing it. Like, look, there was, like, didn't Russia have, like, the biggest protests they've ever had? Yeah. Recently? Yeah, because the uh, Putin's uh, party or whatever basically arrested the opposition party. Or, or well, The head guy, like, the head opposition leader, didn't he get, like, a food allergy or, like, a so-called, like, quote, quote-unquote food allergy? Yeah, something Like, shady. they poisoned him or something? Um, but like you have to imagine that these people around the world are watching each other's protests, right? And they're getting inspiration. I mean, I'm I'm inspired as fuck by what's going down in Hong Kong. Like like we said, like the the cards are stacked against them, and they don't care. They're gonna fight, and they're gonna they're not gonna make it easy for China, and that's fucking admirable. 
it's very it's extremely admirable no and it is extremely inspiring too but like we've said the last few weeks i'm not hopeful i'm not i mean i do hope i am holding out hope but i am not very hopeful that china's not going to come down with an iron fist and what is the uh, implications of that if they do and it really i'm just throwing out a theoretical there i'm not even asking it really does highlight the when you, when you don't have when the citizens not citizens aren't allowed to be armed like how much of a change it makes right mm-hmm. like people say you know like it's always like the straw man like oh like what is your what is your rifle going to do against a tank or something but like one rifle at these protests would fucking it would just throw everything up in the air everything would be completely different yeah somebody started shooting at the triads and like fighting back fighting those guys back a couple weeks ago <coughs> What would that have looked like? I don't know. And I'm, we're not trying to incite violence no, here yeah, either. Please, please. Yeah. yeah. It's such a weird, fucked up world we live in. This is a situation we've been handed, though. We will keep paying attention to it. It is escalating pretty quickly. Bitcoin is a global escape hatch. If I was in Hong Kong, I would only keep my money in real money, not in Hong Kong dollars. Um, Fortnite World Cup. On to more interesting topics. We are in the future, freaks. We are in the future. That was fucking... It was, that was something else. 18,000 people in Arthur Ashe Stadium, the tennis stadium where they do the U.S. Open. Um, 200 contestants, 100 in singles, 100 in doubles. Youngest were 13. They didn't let anyone in younger than 13. That was their age limit. And the oldest were 24. And there was only two 24-year-old guys. So all youngsters. This is a young man's game, it seems. So we're talking about Fortnite had their annual... Is it an annual championship now? It's the first one ever. First one ever. Yeah. It's insane. 13-year-old from right outside of Philadelphia won $3 million. 16-year-old. 16-year-old. Booga. Excuse me, 16-year-old. He fucking dominated. You you watched some of this, didn't you? He won the single. Yeah, dude. It's it fucking cool. I, I don't know. I I never watch esports or anything. But I just... I knew it was on. I turned it on. You can watch it. You know, Fortnite, what's really interesting with Fortnite is they... They they control the whole the whole vertical. You know, they their app is available on every single platform from like iPhone to Xbox to computer and it's free and they operate on this freemium model, right, where you like buy these skins that are just completely aesthetic and don't do anything for skill and people just spend, you know, millions of dollars on this shit. Um, but they control the streaming, everything, the tournament the, like there was, it wasn't on a channel. It was like streamed through their apps, right? Live in HD. They don't have to pay NBC, a, you know, a cut or whatever. They don't need to. They control the whole ad experience, everything. No, it's insane. From and a business perspective, that's pretty crazy. And so people were throwing charts out after this, uh, after this tournament, whatever you want to call it, tournament and World Cup, World Cup. There we go. Uh, like money spent or hours spent on gaming and money spent on gaming is skyrocketing compared to video and audio. Like, video and audio are becoming, like, a blip on the radar. We're, we're missing out, dude. We need to get a Twitch account. We're too old already. I know. We're too old, but... How crazy is that? The, but uh, the we'll, ra- get a, we'll get a young gun and bring him into TFTC, and it'll be our... Uh, Age range, 16-year-old one. God. A 13-year-old came in second, right? Or third? No, no. So okay, so what was really cool is, is they had $30 million in prizes, right? And... To qualify, you it, all qualifiers were online, so you could be any kid in the world, and you could do the qualifiers, top 100 in doubles, top 100 in singles, qualified, and they got paid $50,000 just for getting in, flown to New York, right? So they needed to get money to be able to go to New York and compete in this shit. And then this kid, an Argentinian kid who was 13 years old, came in fifth place, brought home 900 k Well... That's what it was. And this was hilarious because an Argentinian tweeted out on Twitter, like, wait till that kid goes home and has to pay, like, the conversion taxes and then the capital gains taxes. He's going to become a Bitcoin fan real quick. I mean, even the American kid has to, right? He's going to have to pay big taxes. I mean, the problem with the Argentinian kid is, like, now he's, like, a bigger target, right? Because he's, like, a rich kid in Argentina uh, as opposed to being a rich kid in Philly. But, uh, I mean, Bitcoin doesn't solve that even though... I see a future where all the prizes are paid out in sats. Uh, the Argentinian government knows who this kid is, would know that he just made 900K worth of Bitcoin, right? And they would be like, well, where's our due? Like, well, Matthew, I thought you would be more imaginative than this. Like, imagine a world where this 
does not happen at a central location and it's in VR and everybody's 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 a pseudonym and it's automatic payouts and Bitcoin. Like that seems. Well, yeah, but there's then you have like latency issues and stuff. I don't know. So I'm not sure. I don't mean like streaming payments, like tournament payments. No, yeah, that's, I oh, mean, there's a reason about they have all 100 in the same place for the finals is because everyone's twitching around with their hands, right? And if you have, like, the little bit of internet uh, latency, then they could have issues. But they did all the qualifiers through that. So, yeah, absolutely, there'll be those as well, and I think that'll be really cool. That's a very good point. We need to get fiber across the world. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get there eventually. I, I think what's also really cool is that these kids all operate under NIMS, already right like the winner was booga you know like so that's cool they live in like a digital world and uh yeah i yeah exactly like bitcoin is is if you want to do you can't do the anonymous tournaments without bitcoin let's put it that way right yeah like to do it this way they they did kyc and all the contestants i wouldn't be surprised if there's underground bitcoin tournaments already there, How do we get the gamers in the Bitcoin? I feel there, like that's what we need to do. How there do we, might be some sites. I think I think I remember looking into it, and there were some sites that, like, you played Counter-Strike, and there was, like, Bitcoin betting on the side or whatever. But, like, really, which, like well, that's what I said is so cool about Fortnite is that they have this vertical integration. Um, like, you want it to be nice and seamless, right? Like, in the interface. You don't want to go to a separate site and make bets. And right. Maybe that's who we need to reach out to is the creators of Fortnite. Well, they have their own shitcoin. They have the V-Bucks. But it's like an overt. Yeah, I mean, it's, you can just use it to US buy aesthetic dollar, items. Right? Yeah. yeah, and there's no conversion back. It to doesn't have US a float, dollars. does it? No float. Yeah. Nah. Um, last topic. Well, actually, sticking on gaming, it's pretty cool. It's pretty crazy to see how big it is and young people are going to fucking rule the world. Like, uh, people were tweeting... Like, I'm going to be 36. My wife's going to leave me for a 21-year-old who's selling skins online and stuff like that. Like, there's, like, probably, like, whole poor... There's, like, poor families around the world that are, like, telling their kids, like, they just... They had some spare money on the side. They just bought them some kind of gaming computer, and they were like, you're going to dig this family out of this hole by the time you're 16. <laughs> and, like, imagine, like, in high school, is like... Like, does, does like, the, the varsity QB now... Like, is he... A robe lower than the than the guys who are playing Fortnite or whatever, and they're good at it. Whew. Yeah, are those dynamics going to change? Because these kids are winning money young. It's not like when we were in high school and, and the the software development quote unquote nerds uh, weren't making money while we were in high school and wound up making a lot once we got into the professional world. Now they can make money in high school and be like, "Fuck you! I don't care if you could throw a spiral." Yeah, and I feel like you're way more likely to become, like, an esports champion than... It's, like, way more in reach than becoming, like, one of the 32 best QBs. That's a very good point. The world is changing fast. That's old dogs. Are we going to be able to learn new tricks? Are we going to be gaming pretty, pretty intensely our whole lives? What, humans? I mean, like us, our us? generation. Are we gonna have to, like get back into gaming? No, I mean our generation. I mean, I enjoy playing games. Like, but we're never gonna be able to play them competitively again. You know, like I, you have to be. I bet you there would have been twelve-year-olds in this tournament if they didn't uh, restrict them from being in it. Well, that was uh, drone racing. Like the the lead drone racer of the world is a twelve-year-old girl. Remember that? That's pretty badass. Yeah, I didn't know that. From Cambodia, I'm pretty sure. I want when the, the drone racing will get good when they start like. I want the, like, we can't have, for ethical reasons, we can't have gladiator fights and stuff. But, like, as far as drone stuff goes, there should be lots of explosions and... You never watch Robo Wars? Yeah, but that wasn't, like, they didn't take it, it wasn't big enough, you know? Like, they need, and I want to see, like, flying drone races where, like, they're shooting at each other. I'm not even positive that's what that show was called. What, Robo Wars? Is that what it was called? I think that's what it was called, yeah. Dope show. But it was short. It left short. You know, there wasn't enough destruction. And, like, the tech kind of wasn't there yet either, right? But I want to see explosions and shit. It's true. That'd be cool. Then the other thing I would say is... Are like, robots I, people, too? What? Are robots people, too? No, robots aren't people. I think it'll be interesting... They're definitely not people, Marty. <laughs> uh, I, I think it should be interesting. Like, do we hit a point with VR... Where it gets so good that, like, people only stay in VR, right? Like, that could be an issue. Definitely. VR's 
like for as much hype as VR's had in the last five to ten years, it's been all hump and no red rocket. Like I, I've never seen, I haven't seen like a mainstream VR app yet. Yeah, I think we just like hit the point where like at some point it'll be easy enough and uh, like immersive enough. Like there's got to be there's a threshold there where it feels better than real life, right? And we're pretty far from that threshold, but it should be able just like air conditioning is dope. Like it should be e- like relatively easy to manufacture some kind of like pod system where like you like go to a place and you like you get in a pod and it's just um do we want that no that's what i'm saying we probably don't because the incentives would be that everyone would just try and get to 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 the point where they could afford a pod and then just check out is that the uh yeah the picture of mark zuckerberg walking down the aisle is everybody in the presentation <laughs> wears the oculus vr that's a, a precursor to a future that may come where you have his smirking ass being like these idiots are all living in a world that I created and they're not even enjoying the real world. I'm on my private beach out here. Now, if you were in that situation though, it'd be really important to have a digital bearer asset that you could bring with you into that other world. This is a very um, good point. So enter Bitcoin. Yes. You don't need a shitcoin for that either. Uh, the last topic we have here, I just want to put this argument to rest. Roy Sabag, the uh, the founder of Gold Money and Mene, Roy Sabag, excuse it's so me. so disappointing. I kind of liked Mene. So explain Mene. Mene is a cool service, actually. Well, Gold Money is a service where you basically, they hold gold for you, and then you can send it to other Gold Money users uh, through their platform or whatever. And then Mene is like an... Uh, an add-on to that as a separate company where you can buy gold jewelry that's 24 karat gold and it's weighed out and their premium is 20%, uh, just a straight 20% premium on, on the cost of the underlying gold. And at any point you can trade it back. So you, it's like a, it's like a jewelry monetary item where you can, there's like, it's liquid because they just promise to always buy it back from you at whatever the market price is. Plus their VIG. I forget what the VIG is. I think the buyback VIG is like 15% or something. Shit. 15? Yeah. yeah. I think it's, maybe it's 10%. But it's 20% in the beginning. When you first purchase it, there's a 20% margin. And then there's a cost uh, when you return it, if you return it. It was a pretty cool service. And they accepted Bitcoin. It's um, probably to disincentivize people from trying to trade them. Yeah, you know, but if, and, and also it's because like there is a cost for them, right? Like they have to, you know, melt it down or do whatever they want to do with it. And as, as it has designs and stuff, but it's like pretty cool. Cause you could do like a chain and then, like they have like little one gram blocks. Like you can put as many one gram blocks on. I don't know. It's like, I, it's a kind of cool concept, like jewelry as a monetary item. Yeah. And they accept Bitcoin, but this guy, it's like Peter Schiff, you know, Peter Schiff accepts Bitcoin, but he, this guy's a gold bug and he just doesn't, he can't grok the trusted third parties. Yeah, so the, the argument in particular we want to point out here from Roy, he tweeted out last week that he thinks Bitcoin developers are extremely smart, but they're extremely frustrating because they should be trying to figure out a way to digitize physical gold and create a monetary system that way. And tokenize gold. Tokenize gold. Basically... Bitgold, which existed from 1997 to 2006, I believe. And I think there's a couple that exist now that are like basically Tether, but with gold. Yes. And so let's just put this concept to rest. Bitcoin exists because you cannot do this because of gold's physical nature. Like, and you can't do it without a trusted third party. Exactly. And trusted third party, as we all know, are security holes. And gold in particular has been proven throughout time. You get executive order 6102 from 1933 when FDR confiscated gold from people and made people turn gold in. It is physical. They can take it from you. If it's centralized in bank vaults, the government can go to those bank vaults and take it from them. They will have the power at the end of the day. The company could be committing fraud and not have all the gold. That as well. There's layers and layers of third-party risks that come with this, and that is why Bitcoin in its non-physical form needs to exist, I would argue. Yeah, because you need something to pay the miners without a trusted third party. Yes, you need that token. And it is more divisible, more transportable. It's a lot harder for the government to go one by one to individual Bitcoin users. uh, Number one, prove they own Bitcoin, and then two, extract all of their Bitcoin if they do find out they have Bitcoin. And there's no way Roy doesn't realize this, right? 
It's like, like how do you not realize this? I think they realize. They just yeah. Incentives. Yeah, they just choose not to sunk cost of capital and reputation clinging to a system that may not be possible to attain. Well, I mean, if you ask Peter Schiff, he says that's why you have auditors and, the, you know, the legal system and all this and all the reputation systems and stuff Bitcoin like that. Bitcoin takes all that overhead cost and turns it into math. Exactly. It makes it way cheaper. Yeah. You can verify your transactions yourself. Yeah. Um, so we just wanted to end it on that. Roy, I think you'll be looked upon better in history if you just concede that this is a better system uh, when it comes to being unconfiscatable and, and more secure, more decentralized, and and actually more pure. Yeah, and his businesses accept Bitcoin, so he's kind of proving the point. Always keep that in mind. All right. Exactly an hour and almost one minute in. Got anything you want to end it on here? It's a beautiful day here. Hope you have a great weekend, freaks. Same to you, Marty. You as well. Uh, stay humble, stack sets. Peace and love, freaks.